The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. The views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I am in behind this microphone from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. It is a Friday evening, just a little after 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. It's August the 17th, 2018. Thank you for joining us this evening. We have a guest scheduled for you during this first hour of the broadcast Uh, We have Marty Jewell who will be joining us. You may have heard him on the Tanya Free and Friends talk show, which airs on the Black Talk Radio Network every Wednesday. He is a regular panelist and will be discussing police violence tonight, training police in necessary force versus deadly force. So we'll be talking about those issues with him, but remember to continue to support our North Carolina-based nonprofit, the Black Talk Media Project. It is by those donations to our organizations that we are able to maintain our media operations, our media platforms. You can also support our work by becoming a paying subscriber to btrcommunity.com. You just heard the promo for that, just $24 a year where you can engage in some social media exchanging information, ideals, and what have you. So uh, definitely want to welcome the new members who have joined over the past couple of days or joined this week. Now, I'm going to have to call uh, Marty, so y'all bear with me as I pull up my board and get his telephone number so that we can get him on the line so we could talk about 
uh, this very serious issue as well as some possible good news in California in terms of dealing with uh, police violence. They have a bill that is working its way through the legislature. Haven't had a chance to look at it in detail, um, but we will discuss some of that tonight as well. So let me just go ahead and give you a proper intro for tonight's program. We, as I mentioned, we'll be speaking to Marty Jewell, a former Richmond, Virginia City Council person. He's also a U.S. military veteran where he served as a MP, that means military police officer, while he was in the service. Um, and tonight we will be speaking on how police are trained versus how members of the military are trained in the use of force. Police on average, and this is news to me, but police on average injure or kill 51,000 people annually in the United States, according to a study of people treated in U.S. hospitals as a result of injuries sustained in police encounters. This violence, of course, is not always justified, and in many cases, it is completely unnecessary. Now, in addition to the health care costs for these injuries, taxpayers are paying millions out, and I would love for somebody to find a study. I don't know if one has been done, and how much money is paid out in lawsuits every year collectively by all these different uh, police law enforcement agencies, but in terms of the costs for healthcare costs resulting for these injuries, it's got to be in the millions as well. And it's just it's just odd that U.S. soldiers in war zones have a stricter rule of engagement when it comes to the civilian population than do the United States police. Okay, that's that's just sad that if I'm a soldier, I'm in a war zone fighting on behalf of USA Inc. And let's say I'm in Afghanistan, that there are stricter rules on how I deal with the civilians in Afghanistan than if I was a police officer in the United States where the rules are often lax. So, as I mentioned, California is tackling the issue in the form of assembly bill 931 of the Police Accountability and Community Protection Act, which would allow officers to use lethal force only when necessary to prevent imminent and serious bodily injury or death to an officer or bystander. And when there are no reasonable non-lethal alternatives, uh, taser for an example. So, that is the main um Topic for tonight that we'll be discussing with Mr. Jewell, a three-term city council member in Richmond, Virginia. He's, uh, you know, our friend of the program, abolitionist Otis. That's where he's from. He's in that same area. So we're looking forward to having this conversation because Marty is the one who gave me the ideal to tackle this topic on air. And then, of course, after we speak with Marty, we got some news of the day that we'll be sharing with you. But before I uh, bring Marty into the conversation, let me check the board. I, I do believe we do have him on online. But before I get to uh, Marty and bring him on air, 
There's another article that came out yesterday from Mother Jones. It says California cops shot and killed 162 people last year. Well, that is in relation to this California bill, which they hope will change the standard for the use of deadly force by police officers. So uh, let me check the board and see if we got Mr. Marty Jewell on air. Uh, Do we have you on air, Mr. Jewell? I'm here, Scotty. Happy to be here. Hey, and I'm happy to have you. As I was telling my audience, I was listening to Tanya Free and Friends Wednesday, uh, which we syndicate here on our station. And you gave me an idea for this very topic when you brought up the fact that you used to be a military police officer and y'all were trained on necessary force as opposed to deadly force. But before we get into our main topic, can you just give people briefly, you know, some of your background, what you do there in Virginia, as well as being one of the more informed panelists on the Tanya Free and Friends show? Uh, Gladly. Uh, And and I appreciate you having me on. It's quite an honor. I... uh, I'm, I'm an old country boy from Goochman County, about 20 miles outside of Richmond, and I've been hopelessly political all my life and uh, unapologetically so. Uh, but I'm as grassroots as grassroots gets, and it's amazing. Um, I'm still, uh, 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 I served three times in, on Richmond City Council uh, uh, until 2012, and um uh, I've never stopped my activism uh, and have been a lifelong human and civil rights activist all my life. I uh, was president of the uh, Student Government Association at my alma mater, Virginia Union University here in Richmond, and, uh, and led a march uh, with Bobby Seals from the Black Panthers down Broad Street to the state capitol. Um, and we've been fighting ever since. Uh, I tell people, I challenge people all the time. You may need one thing of value that black folk have ever gotten that we didn't have to fight for. Uh, and so you got no business sitting on your hands waiting for life to come to you. You got to fight every step of the way. Uh, and so um, uh, you win some, you lose some. But with regards to to uh, this use of necessary force, I, I, I just haven't heard it since I left uh, the U.S. Army as an MP, uh, a military policeman, uh, nearly 50 years ago. Uh, and it just makes so much sense. Uh, a case in point, right here in Richmond, about three, two, three months ago, uh, there was this uh, school teacher. Um, who was a science teacher, brilliant young man, who uh, who had a part-time job at this five-star uh, hotel here, and something happened, and he snapped, took off all of his clothes, got in his car, and was flying up 95. The police chased him down, and here he is out of his car, buck naked, uh, so you know he's got no, he's got no he's got no uh, he's not armed. 
uh, he got bumped a couple of times by the traffic and got up and, and moved to the curb and, and uh, uh, the police officer was trying to subdue him and he, out of his mind, was raging and says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, and came at the officer. And uh, I understand that the officer tased him twice, but either he missed or didn't work. Uh, and he continued coming, and he shot him in the belly. Kill him. Now, I forget, I forget the... Uh, I forget the movie where Della Reese was in uh, uh, and and Eddie Murphy shot her in her pinky toe. He could have shot Harlem the man Nights. in his pinky toe. Yeah, Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights, that, that's the one, yeah. He could have shot him in the leg. He didn't have to shoot him in the torso. Uh, and it's just outrageous that that uh, they're all trained on the use of deadly force under, apparently under any circumstance. Now, uh, again, as, as a military policeman, we're trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, we're trained in use of a baton. The man had mace on his belt, uh, and he had the taser. Jesus, why could any of those other implements been used rather than shoot the man in the torso? Uh, I think you get my point. Yes, I get your point, and I saw the video. I also heard you all discussing it on Tanya's show. Now, what I don't remember is, was that police officer by himself, or was there other police officers? Not that you know, it, it matters in terms of the unnecessary force that he used because you're absolutely correct about you, you got a baton, you got mace, you knew that he didn't have a firearm because he's butt naked. Where right, did... right. Well, he he called for backup, and my understanding is a state police was on the other side of the interstate, had parked, and was trying to walk his way through the traffic to, to get over there to him. But that's another uh, aspect of this case. Uh, we're trained, we were trained that when you call for backup, you wait for backup. You don't get out of there on your own. Otherwise, why would you call backup? And so he didn't wait for backup, and he may not have known that the uh, state police was on his way across the road, but. That said, um, what was the guy going to do? Take his fist and bust the window? Sit your Tom Potts in the car and wait until you get back up. So there seems to have been a number of failings. I haven't weighed in on this because the, the family and a group of activists have uh, marched uh, to the police headquarters and held a rally and they met with the police department and uh, gone through this, that, and the other, and I, I just assume that they had it under control. But it is my intention that uh, before next week is out, I'm going to sit down with this chief, and we're going to talk about uh, use of necessary force. And uh, and I'm going to email, I'm going to text him that text you, the link you sent me about what's going on out there in California. Um, um, the fraternal order of police will always 
uh, uh, fight for the extreme. They'll never, right. uh, they'll never agree with moderation. And so we can't go by fraternal order of police, but the international order of police chiefs, good Lord, they're saying it's a, it's a smart deal. That bill is a smart thing to do. So, yes, you're talking um, about the uh, uh, assembly bill. This is in California, Assembly Bill 931, the Police Accountability and Community Protection Act. But I, I want to speak to your point about you know, because um, I had these conversations with my family members as we see the news um, of this happening to people. Fortunately, yeah. you know, we don't have a lot of that happening in our little small rural area. Um, so, but we're always we're always concerned about what's happening to people in other places. It doesn't have to. We don't have to wait for it to happen to us for us to be concerned about it. You know, personally. Sure. What's the nearest city to you? Charlotte, North Carolina, but it's it, it's across oh. the it's across across the Catawba River. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's across the Catawba River, and it's just a little small town that has been here since the 1700s. Um, but you mentioned you mentioned though they were they're trained as military uh, as a military police officer. You were trained in hand to hand combat. You know I was trained yeah. in that too, even though I wasn't an MP. You know that's part of basic training. But yeah, that's right. Yeah. These police officers are trained in hand to hand combat as well because I've seen uh-huh. the videos. Of you know they'll get these private companies to come in or instructor or whatnot, and I see the videos of them you know throwing each other on the mat and engaging in hand to hand combat training. Sure. So they're trained in hand to hand combat, and some some uh, will will take it uh, levels higher into uh, into jujitsu and judo and all the rest. But I've seen cases of even when they're dealing, and I'm talking about men, even when they're dealing with a woman, that they will use deadly force against that woman. I saw I saw a video of a woman having an episode. I can't remember. It might have been in Missouri, but I'm not sure. It's been a few months ago as well. And she's in right. the car. She's on the dead end, possibly, you know, using drugs is the allegation. I don't know what she was doing on this dead end. The police uh, see this car on this dead end street, try to approach it. She takes off. They finally get her boxed in on the highway. She wouldn't get out the car. Um, And this was like a gang of police officers. It was like seven or eight police officers. Next thing you know, there's smoke pouring from the inside of the car because she's setting the car on fire with herself in it. And then she also has a little small steak knife in her hand. So they're pleading pleading with her to get out the car. And when she finally opens up the door, before her left foot hit the ground, Marty, a cop already done shot her. Good Lord. Good Lord. That's astounding. They know that she's in psychological stress. Uh, and and uh, that's the same case with this boy Marcus Rogers uh, here that I'm talking about. They know he's in stress. Why do you need to kill him? It, it, it just makes no sense. And and, and at some point you gotta you gotta wonder 
you know, have to wonder. You got to conclude that they kill her because they can. Right, right. Huh? Exactly. I mean, if you see across this nation, cop after cop after cop getting off, even when there's video clearly showing that this was unjustified use of force, yeah. of deadly force, but when and then when you have the attorney general Jeff Sessions signaling to police upon his entry into that office that we're no longer concerned about policing the police. So if if I'm a cop out there, the the president says, don't be so kind to arrestees. Just shove them on in the car. If they hit the head, good. Right, right. So if I'm a cop out there on the street looking to do harm, Okay, looking to do harm, and I see there's no accountability, then it just makes sense that, hey, if I want to kill somebody, then I'm, I probably will get away with it, and they do it. That's, that's as simple as that. Now, uh, it's obscene, and it's got to stop. Let's talk about this California bill that you said that you will uh, get with the police chief on. Um Yes. Just let me read a little bit for our listening audience. California cops shot and killed 162 people last year. This bill could help reduce the bloodshed. This is an article that was written by Brandon E. Patterson, and it was published yesterday on MotherJones.com. Just a couple of excerpts. A California bill that would radically change the standard for the use of deadly force by police officers got past a key hurdle on Thursday as the State Senate Appropriations Committee voted unanimously to send it along to the full Senate for debate. Assembly Bill 931, the Police Accountability and Community Protection Act, would allow officers to use lethal force only when necessary to prevent imminent and serious bodily injury or death to an officer or bystander. And when there are no reasonable non-lethal alternatives, a taser, for example, the bill would also mandate that cops attempt to de-escalate potentially volatile situations using time, distance, communications, and available resources when it is safe and reasonable to do so. And it would bar police from using lethal force when a subject is a threat only to himself. Just like the woman sitting in the car that she set on fire. Just Just like the young man there in Richmond who was in danger of injuring himself the way he was bouncing off them them cars. So That's right. Now that's right. Here here's my concern without uh being able to look at the bill right now is that is this subjective or objective? Who decides? Who decides whether or not, you know, that that this officer did everything according to this police accountability and community protection act who decides marty because we see see often that even if it's a clear-cut case prosecutors will jump through all kind of hoops not to indict an officer like we saw in ferguson and michael brown's case yeah well the fact is that that uh it's a case-by-case matter. Uh, we all agree to that. Right. Uh, but what level of threat 
does somebody unarmed or armed with a steak knife, you got a full arsenal on your police belt, um, and you can't fix this problem without shooting and killing them? Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, when you call for backup, you wait for backup. Mm-hmm. And that that's a violation if 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 his uh, training is at all linked uh, with military code, uh, and it may not be. I'm not sure. Uh, clearly, uh, he should have waited for backup. Uh, he could have sat in his car. The guy could have pounded on his car. It ain't gonna hurt him, right? Right. Uh, and so it, it only take a matter of minutes. Uh, before your backup's going to show up. They already know that. So anyway, um, I, uh, he may well have violated his his uh, his code, uh, his training code, mm-hmm. uh, uh, getting out of the car at all. Now, he did see the boy out in the traffic, and perhaps he was trying to subdue him and get him out of the way of traffic to avoid a traffic accident. Uh, I don't know what's going on in his mind, but right. clearly there should have been a, a, a different response. And and people, uh, I'm, I've heard, when they are under psych, psychiatric distress, uh, they can uh, they can be very strong. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was concerned about that. I, I can't I can't know any of this, and I've not been following it that closely, but. Um, but again, he didn't have to get out of the car until his backup showed up. Yeah, just kept keep keep the person in sight, you know. Just yeah. keep them in sight until you have your backup there. Now, That's- also from the article, it says, if we want to reduce police shootings, we need to change the rules on when police can shoot. Uh, this is a, a person, Peter Burbing, Director of po- Police Practices for the ACLU of Southern California. Uh, he says mm-hmm. that's what this particular bill does. Now, it says it's about time supporters say the state law governing police use of force hasn't been amended since it was enacted in 1872. It's the oldest untouched use of force law in the nation, according to Amnesty International, which supports uh, this Assembly Bill 931. Now, when I saw that date, I'm thinking black codes. I'm thinking patty rollers and, and what have you. Still operating under the rules of the slave patrols and and what sure. have you. And, and, so, and sure. so, you know, Dick Gregory... Um, who has gone on to be with the ancestors, he, I heard him talking about we need a national, federal law because these different states apparently have different laws, they have different rules, and as Dick Gregory was saying, there should be a national standard. And not only that, he said that police should be licensed to be a police officer, just like a private investigator, has to have a license. And if you're found to have, you know, been in a situation where you were fired from one department because you couldn't follow the rules, as we see, you know, it's pretty much a, 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 a game of 
uh, what it, what they call that ring around the rosy, not where you go around the chairs and musical chairs. Okay. And they just, they get fired from one department and they go to another town. You know, that was in Michael Brown's case. Darren Wilson got fired at the Jennings Police Department, but he found another job. It was a national registry of police officers who are disciplined and fired. uh, 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 And that can be, that can be checked. From the registry. Same in Tamir That's Rice case. You need to push for that. Same with the cop who killed Tamir Rice. He had been fired from a department. His uh, right. supervisor said that he was too immature to be a police officer and what exactly. have you. They fired him, and next thing you know, he's in Cleveland gunning down little uh, 12 year old Tamir Rice. Right. That was the most ridiculous piece I've ever seen in my life. Um, um, uh, uh, I've got two or three thoughts coming through my head right now, but I, I happen to have been in Florida uh, when that stand your ground thing. What, what was the first young brother's name that that we got up in an uproar with? Uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, Trayvon Martin happened to have been down there that whole week playing golf. We were in that town when it happened. Uh, and and it stuck with me all this time. The stand your ground is another is another law designed to kill our people. Uh, I have I, I haven't seen any statistics or studies uh, or data, but I've not heard I've not heard any up out uproar about uh, white police officers killing white people unarmed. I just don't hear it. Well, Marty, it does occur. Um, You can go to the database killedbypolice.net and it just doesn't get the mainstream media attention that when black people get killed. And I I have a thought on why we don't see see those stories uh, as much as we see when a non-white person, particularly a black person, well, it's because right now, as of right now, and it's changing, it'll be changing in a couple of decades, and they'll be the minority population, but right now, they're the majority population, and they don't want to get mm-hmm. them riled up and, and behind, you know, doing something. As long as they think, I think, in my opinion, if the majority population thinks it's only happening to non-white people, then they're not really going to care. Because they think, hey, this don't affect me or whatnot. And they're not going to put their political power, their, you know, social pressure on um, doing what's right in repealing or getting some laws in place in, in reference to all these police killings. Well, Scotty, I got to put a chink in that in that uh, theory. Okay. Uh, because wherever you see a mass rally against uh, uh, police brutality, the crowd is overwhelmingly white. They get it. But they are minority though, Marty, within the white community. Within the white community, that could be true. Um, uh, uh, particularly a minority of those who will come out and stand against it. Mm-hmm. I grant you that. Uh, but more and more, uh, these white folks are realizing that we've got breakdown, severe breakdown 
in our criminal justice practices, and they uh, they're willing to accept. Mm-hmm. They're willing to accept changes in how we do our policing. Meanwhile, uh, um, uh, we got a battle between now and midterm elections in November to determine just uh, determine just where the thinking is among decent white folk in America. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be an excellent gauge, I, I would think. So we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Now, one more thing, no, Marty. No, no. W- one more thing before before we let you go. Now we've been talking mm-hmm. about deadly violence, but right, all this unnecessary violence doesn't always result in death. So I came across the article when doing research and preparation for tonight's you know program and talking with you. There was an article that came mm-hmm. out in uh, 2017, uh, I found it in Newsweek.com, and it says about 51,000 people injured annually by police study shows. Let, let me share a little bit uh, of this with mm-hmm. you. It says that, a uh, it's talking about uh, a specific case, okay. A video that surfaced last Friday of two Georgia police officers punching and then kicking the head of a man under arrest may seem like just the latest in a recent spate of possible police brutality cases, but a new study led by Dr. Eleanor Kaufman of New York Presbyterian Hospital, Will Cornell Medical Center, suggests that the issue has been a consistent phenomenon well before social media and YouTube brought such violent encounters to wide attention. Kaufman and her colleagues used data on emergency department visits from the nationwide emergency department sample to measure how many emergency room visits were the result of an encounter with law enforcement. With little change from 2006 to 2012, the researchers found that about 51,000 Americans were injured each year in encounters with police. Now, now, let me say this, Marty. Now, I don't mm-hmm. expect them all the time to take someone into custody, especially if they're under the influence of of drugs or having some kind of psychological break. You know, you go, you you may bruise the person up. You know, wrestling around with them on the ground trying to, you know, bring them under control. So I I accept that there's going to be some small injuries. But I don't know if you saw that video uh, recently out of Baltimore with the Baltimore cop punching that resident in the face and and just left him bloody on the pavement. I mean, they left a pool of blood on the pavement. So that was totally unnecessary. So they got got me thinking. You know, we often talk about the cost. Well, really, I don't think we talk about it enough. But the cost to the taxpayers in in terms of these lawsuits where there's an unjustified killing or they just want to settle the case out of court. But but I'm thinking 51,000 Americans injured in encounters with police, and I know they're not all justifiable. And I'm wondering how much is it costing us as a nation in health care costs for those Americans? It's a great, it's a great point. Health care costs and then the lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And then the legal fees. 
uh, whether the suit is won or not. You, you, you're spending big money on legal fees. Some so, are- yeah, it's, it's a huge cost to society with an out-of-control uh, uh, law enforcement agencies that, that need to be cognizant of that fact. But, look, here's my point. Again, I've been hopelessly political all my life. I can tell you that uh, our politics is broken, local, state, and federal, and cannot get fixed until the people organize and get in it. Um, uh, It's just a broken mess. Uh, Here in Richmond, we've got black councilmen, black delegates and, uh, and senators and in the General Assembly, they left us a long time ago. They used to come to our Richmond Crusade for Voters, a vaunted um, uh, civil rights organization that uh, whose mission is to do voter registration, education, and get out of the get out the vote. Uh, they used to come regularly, join up. They haven't been in years. Uh, they left us a long time ago. We had a referendum. The Crusade for Voters put on a referendum to fix uh, um, a majority of our 44 schools in, the, in our school district that are falling down, antiquated, and, and 85% of the voters voted yes, find the money, and fix the schools. We got a mayor who's been resistant because we went over his head and did that referendum, which goes over to the General Assembly, not the city government. Okay. And he's been pushing back ever since. And so our own politicians, we we can put this necessary force legislature in front of them. We can have a lawyer help us write it up in legislative form, put it in their hand and say, here, run with this and you can't count on them to do squat. Mm. Uh, I don't know about in your state, but uh, my, our folks uh, are, have left us, and that's the reason Democrats, um, uh, uh, I've been a lifelong Democrat. I call myself a yellow dog Democrat. rather vote for a yellow dog than anything else. But I'm disappointed in this Democratic Party who expects us to give, us, give them our votes. <laughs> you just mentioned two possibilities of common sense legislation that we ought to be able to put in their hand and have them run with it. And we need to do that and challenge them while we organize on the ground. In fact, I've got a plan to organize block clubs, bring people back together, uh, uh, back into relationship with each other around lifting up uh, the best life chances for children. Now, who 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 can be against that? Well, Marty, we uh, we we have a our um, leadership hasn't done done their job, and as a consequence, we're all unprotected, disconnected, and isolated. But as you mentioned, though, y'all went over the mayor's head with a referendum, and right when these parties, you can't depend on the on the person in the party in your area to do what's right and what you're calling on them to do, the things you elected them to do. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in many of these states, you can even get state initiatives on the ballot to change the law. So 
I think I think we have to look at every option that is available to us. But I know this, Marty, and if you don't mind, we do uh, have a caller who who would like to ask a question. But oh, please, yeah, just sitting on, just sitting around, or even walking around or marching and complaining about it is not gonna fix it. Okay, you got it. We you have it, to be we law politics controls every people activity area on this planet. And as they say, all politics are local. To me that means That's that it. that my local DA, my local sheriff, my local mayor, my city council, that's going to have a bigger impact on my life than that person we got sitting up there in the white but here, house. Here's the problem, uh, Scotty, and you, uh, you've heard me say it probably on, on Tanya Free's show uh, several times. What damn we? We ain't been a we in years. You, you're right. Uh, you're we right. We haven't joined our NAACP branches. We don't join the, the Crusade for Voters. Uh, teachers' union is no more uh, uh, functional than the man in the moon. Uh, uh, until we rejoin uh, and reconnect with one another, information is power. But if our people aren't getting it, then they don't know what to do. And I'm sorry, but normal, everyday grassroots society are basically sheep that requires a shepherd to lead. And our leadership has failed us miserably, not just here, but across the country. I do not disagree so with any of that. It's fixable. I don't want to depress your listeners, but it's fixable. And I'll shut up. I would like to get, I would like to get, uh, uh, um, get in on on the police chief in Charlotte that came out of Richmond, Rodney, Chief Rodney Monroe. He's no longer there now, but I'd like to give a shout-out to him and tell you what he did in Richmond City and Charlotte. Sure. Um, well, Marty, Marty, yeah, let's take take this call. They've been waiting patiently. Uh, we got a regular listener and also a broadcaster on the Black Talk Radio Network. We got uh, Jenna Capra, who is joining us from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, Jenna, welcome to uh-huh. Black Talk Radio News. Go ahead with your question or comment for our guest, Mr. Marty Jewell. Greetings, Scotty. Greetings, Mr. Jewell. How are y'all this evening? Good. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I, uh, I've i always been personal about this particular uh, issue. Uh, it's gotten even more personal as of uh, two weeks ago I was uh, attacked by one of these slave catchers Uh, I was walking I was actually walking down the highway to my vehicle at the gas station I had to make my way back home because I ran out of gas and was Mm. uh, walking back to my vehicle and I got pulled over while I was uh, walking now here in in Chattanooga Tennessee uh, Tennessee state laws uh, state that you don't have to give up identification if you're not operating a vehicle if you're not suspected of a crime or and or not being a witness to a crime so that should uh, be everywhere in America that should be everywhere in America me being aware of the uh, of the laws here uh, 
my my initial question when the uh, slave catcher got out of his patrol vehicle was, uh, "Am I under arrest?" Uh, he told me no. I asked him, "Was I being detained?" He also told me no. So he went on to uh, go along with a little small talk. He wanted my name, so I gave him my first name, the first name only. And uh, a, a little while throughout the conversation, I continued to ask him, "Am I being detained?" So uh, as I as he continues to tell me no, <clears throat> I I say, "Well, I'm I'm done. Uh, I'm done conversating. You know, uh, I don't see no reason for me to continue to stay here." And I hadn't even made a move to uh, walk off or nothing. He, this guy just pulled out his flashlight, you know. Uh, but he had his uh, police uh, lights on alongside of his uh, his bright lights for his uh, for his. Uh, I can't. I'm having a. I'm, I'm slipping in my that's head right, right now. A, alongside that's his that's headlights. That's what I'm trying to say. He, yeah. So uh, he he did not need his uh, flashlight whatsoever, but he didn't pull it in the uh, manner of looking at something. He he raised his flashlight over his head. Now, just to give you a little detail, the flashlight, he had this big flashlight, uh, a mag flashlight is what it is. He had this above his head in his left hand, and then he reached for my right shoulder with his right hand. Now, what, what I'd done... Is that I I I lifted the uh, slave catcher up and I and I tossed him back to get off of me. He he ripped my uh he ripped my t-shirt that I had on and uh and what he did is what I, I sat there and I watched him because he was he was no more than than two and a half to three feet away from me. So he was he was in very close range and he was stumbling to grab his stun gun. What what I was yeah, waiting man. for was to see what he was reaching for. On his right side was this uh was this bright yellow taser and on his left side was his firearm. So right. once I seen him turn to his right, I I automatically knew that he was reaching for uh for his uh stun gun, whether he was trying to reach for that or or he thought that's where his firearm was, but I, I seen him reaching for that. So I, I stood there and I and I uh continued to talk. I was like, I, you know your dash cam uh your dash cam see this and your body camera sees this. You need to slow down. This is this are the exact words that I gave him. And he hit mm-hmm. me twice with the stun gun. Now mind mm-hmm. you, I have not said that he uh placed me under arrest. I did not receive any Miranda rights for that and uh and then he took me to the hospital to get the prongs taken out and what I also noticed that is that this uh slave catcher's ass was bloodshot red. He told me yeah. that they was uh it was because of his contacts but I, I made it aware to him that I had hadn't noticed him reach for his ass one time throughout the whole uh uh throughout the whole situation. So I, I wind up going through, but now I cannot get any, uh, I can't get any lawyers to take the case. I, I give them the details as, as well as I have just given you, but I'm not getting any callbacks. Now, what I'm proceeding to do is to get uh, all of these laws that I just mentioned, the Miranda rights laws, uh, Tennessee state laws for uh, for walking civilians being pulled over by the uh by the uh, police officers 
and and all of these type of things together to take with me to court whether I have a, a representation or not my question to you is with all of the information that I have just given what would be the best manner of uh, proceeding with this uh, with this incident thank you for uh, listening to me and I put myself on mute if you could do so also Scotty because I'm out practicing football with my son all right thank you Jerry Marty um, well I'm not a lawyer um, he's saying he's having difficulty finding a lawyer that would take his case. I wanted to ask if he was ultimately arrested, and if so, what? The yes, he was. Are. Yes, he was. And okay. I'll uh, unmute his mic because it was weird with his case when you know he he called me you know personally and we were talking about it, right. and he said that his. He didn't get a bond. His bond was so low that it did not match him being charged with assault on a police officer. Jenna, if you could fill us in with the details, what were you ultimately charged with and what the magistrate said? Okay. Uh, so when I got to the, uh, when I found, because they, they was holding me in a, uh, in a uh, solitary holding cell for like six hours before I even seen the magistrate. So when I seen the magistrate, they told me that, they told me that uh, I found out what my charges were. There was a public intoxication, uh, assault on the officer, and threatening the officer. And my uh, bond come up to uh, $200 for all three mm-hmm. charges. So the uh, mm-hmm. magistrate just told me that uh, he knew the officer who brought the, uh, who brought me in and that, uh, and that he didn't uh, see, he didn't, I, I'm trying to get this exactly what he told me. He said that he knew the officer, and as he seen me, it didn't look like I was in any kind of scuffle, To uh, that I was in any kind of scuffle. No, Jerry, seen. Jerry, that's not what you told me. You said the cop didn't look, he said the cop didn't look like that, because your shirt well, yeah, was yeah, all torn. I say the officer didn't look like he had been attacked and with my with my shirt torn it didn't look like I was in an altercation to warrant me uh resisting arrest because I wasn't I wasn't beat up I wasn't bleeding or any of these type of things my shirt was just torn yeah right, I, was, right. I was I was getting to that uh Scotty I, I was talking about myself uh okay at first as far as my appearances okay but that's that's what well, the magistrate told well, he me, charged, and he, he said so. With what? Uh, he charged me with uh, public intoxication, uh, uh, resisting arrest, and threatening of an officer. So he told not, me that uh, when, he, when he told me that he said that uh, once he, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last part. I was asking, but not assault, huh? No, it just it just said uh, no, it didn't say assault anywhere on, on any of my uh, things. But what go he ahead. told me you is that uh, he didn't feel that I needed to be there, so he was gonna set my bail as low as possible to get me out of there. Mm-hmm. That's what the magistrate told me. Right. And then the bondsman who uh, the bondsman who came and uh, got me, he also wanted to know. 
because he said from the years of him uh, practicing this this particular uh, profession that he has seen these he has seen these charges before, but he has never once in his life while doing this ever known it to come out with a bond as small as as I had gotten that day. A uh, couple of things that I can suggest if you can't find a lawyer. Um, one is I would file a complaint with internal affairs with the police department first and foremost. That's what I said. Yep. That's Secondly, um, you need to find the nearest, uh, the nearest uh, ACLU office uh, or Virginia Poverty Law Center and register that complaint and ask for legal help, right? Um, now, you you should get a court-appointed attorney or um, what do you call them? Uh, public defender. <clears throat> public defender. Have you, have you been assigned a public defender or court-appointed attorney yet? No, sir. No, they, they didn't give me anything but a court date, and it was... Uh, it was uh, particularly strange that my court date uh, was not even two weeks. It was a week and a half from the time I got arrested. I got arrested uh, last Monday, and uh, next Wednesday is the court date. Well, you need to call the court and, and see if you can get a uh, – What? how do you go about getting a court-appointed attorney or a public defender? You need a lawyer. Uh, they will. They will. Uh, they will ask me that. They will ask me that once we get into. Uh, once we get into court. Yeah. It sounds like. Think? Sounds like Marty. He's going. This is. You know what they call first appearance, and then that's when they ask you those questions of whether or not you can afford an attorney and and you fill out, fill out the paperwork okay. and and you know. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. You're right. I would. I would start calling ACLU and Virginia Poverty Law Center. And let Scotty know uh, the outcome of that, and I'll look around and see if there's any uh, if, if there's any legal help in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I have I have uh, I have contacted at least four different uh, four different law firms, and none of them is even returning my phone calls. I would talk to their uh, to their assistants. They would take mm-hmm. down my information, phone number, email, and I've been doing this since I uh, since I got out last Tuesday, and I haven't had one of them to uh, to call me back. Do you I'm know thinking a, a, that I'm, I'm think what I'm thinking is is that what they see the case uh, because the case is the case is very simple, especially with the uh, with the body cam and the dash cam. I think yeah. since they all work for the city, they don't want to be a part of a uh, of a lawsuit like y'all was just talking about. Well, private lawyers don't work for the city, but there are some, especially black attorneys, who are hesitant to take on a case against uh, a city agency or law enforcement uh, because they got to practice law in that town and they're afraid of getting blackballed. Correct. Um, that, that's the same thing I'm thinking. Do you know a lawyer, a friend of yours, or an acquaintance of yours who is a lawyer who can help guide you through this ticket? Whether he uh, takes the case personally. or not. Not, not no? personally, no sir, I don't. 
Mm. I know mm. some um, and they're on Facebook. Um, I'm thinking of Vernelia Randall. She was a law professor. And so I know a couple of attorneys. I'm thinking of Ikea. Um, she has a Facebook page, Ikea Speaks. Uh, she's been a guest on New Abolitionist Radio. And so I'll, I'll, I'll send those contacts to you, Jerry. And, of course, you know, they're in different states. They can't, and, and she's not even practicing law. But like Marty said, they, they possibly can guide you. But one of the things that Marty said to you is one of the things I said to you that very night about filing a complaint on that cop. Yes, yes. He may have yeah, a record of that stupid, that stupid behavior a mile long, uh, and and, and uh, there got to be a way that you can find out what his record is uh, in order to um, give you some ammunition uh, as to how you can defend yourself. Right, and ultimately, gathering that evidence, you can possibly get the DA or prosecutor to drop the charges because you dig up this dirt on them and they may not want it to come out. So, you know. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jenna, I will. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'll get you those contacts um, where you can uh, take Marty's advice and ask them. They may know, you know, some people in Tennessee. All right. Um, Marty, I want to thank you, man. I kept you longer than I said I would. So I want to thank you for being patient with us and joining us tonight. And, you know, for giving me the ideal to do this show, you know, when you mentioned necessary force versus deadly force. And I I think I I appreciate I appreciate the collaboration. You sent me this California piece is huge, huge. And I'll make darn good use of it. I want to thank you for it. Oh, you're welcome. Did you want to leave our listeners with any final thoughts? Only final thought is, uh, real quickly, <clears throat> Chief Rodney Monroe came to Richmond back in 2005 under, under Mayor Wilder, Doug Wilder. Uh, our, our murder rate was 168 uh, murders uh, the previous year. Uh, in 15 months, he brought that crime rate down to less than 30. Uh, and and he did it uh, with minimum arrest. And so uh, it's all in your leadership. Prior to him coming, an interim uh, police chief was there, white female. Seven black unarmed men were, were shot, six of them killed. Never before, never before, uh, never, never since. And I'm simply saying that you citizens need to stay close in touch with your police department, its practices, and challenge them. They work for you. They work for you. And if you need outside help, holler. All right. Again, this is uh, Ben Marty Jewell. You can check him out as he's a regular uh, panelist on Tanya Free and Friends talk show every Wednesday. It's also heard here on the Black Talk Radio Network, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Marty, thank you again, and you have a blessed evening, sir. Oh, God bless you. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Take care. All right. All right. That was Marty Jewell. We are at the top of the hour.
So we are going to take a break of PlayStation identification break and a music track. And then we'll come back and we will get into some of the rest of the stories. But I also want to share some of the uh, thoughts that Otis has posted for us in the chat room. Um, One of the things real quickly that he mentioned, why in the hell, and this is my words, not his, but... And I've known this for quite some time, but why in the hell are Israelis coming here to the United States and training police officers? Think about that. And I just posted a video today to the Black Talk Radio Twitter account. I posted a YouTube video of those ongoing clashes between Israeli Defense Forces and the Palestinians who are engaging in that march a right of return march seeking to reclaim the land that was taken from them and they were turned into refugees and and pushed into the Gaza Strip and so you know think about that why is Israelis coming to America to train police forces because they want to deal with us the same way they dealing with them Palestinians is what it says to me. And that's one of the things Otis shared with us in the chat room. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, and we'll be right back on the other side.
Black Talk Radio, your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm sitting in from behind these enemy lines with you this evening. Just some quick details on that article about 51,000 people injured annually by police. And I guess this year, you know, um, Brother Jenna will be counted among them statistics because they had to take him to the hospital to have the taser prongs removed from him. So, again, 51,000 Americans were injured each year from 2006 to 2012. This article came out last year, but I thought it was relevant to our conversation today. Now, here are some breakdowns of those who were injured by police. Around 85% of the patients were male, and the average age of the injured person was 32. Most of the injuries were from being struck, gunshot, and stab wounds made up fewer than 7% of the injuries. So they're beating up a whole lot of people more than they're shooting them or stabbing them. I'm like, wow, stab wounds? Really, the police didn't stab somebody? Man, it says the majority of cases involve injuries that required no operations, bumps, bruises, lacerations that didn't require treatment beyond stitches. Non-fatal injuries were more common in the South and West and less common in the Northeast and Midwest. Well, they don't share any racialized breakdown here, but we know, we know that those were the majority of those 85% males were black males. Now, it doesn't tell us the percent, well, I guess 15% were female. And I bet you the majority of those females were not white females, okay? And then when you say the South and the West, and it was less common in the Northeast and Midwest, well, they don't have as large a population of non-white people. When you're talking Northeast, you're talking places like Vermont, uh, New Hampshire. Um, yeah, that, that's what you're talking about. Um, Midwest, you're talking about Idaho, you're talking about Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, high populations of white people, very small populations of non-white people. So they're they're beating people up more than they're killing them. And and you know, fifty-one thousand people a year, that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that is being paid by taxpayers. We have every, every incentive, more than any population of any nation in the world to get a handle on these slave catchers, I say. You know, the statistics don't lie, okay? People say what they want to say, but the statistics do not lie. Now, speaking of that, let me share uh, some of the stuff uh, that Otis shared. Let me see says Jewish groups paid to send U.S. police to train in Israel. Oh, so they're being sent to Israel as well as Israelis coming here to train police? Wow. They are becoming Israeli. The door to this foreign influence in America was thrown open by the Department of Homeland Security and in particular 
Michael Chertoff. I remember him, an Israeli citizen. He is a dual citizen. Um, a lot of people, uh, I'm not sure if he was, I don't think he was, I think he was part of the Bush administration, but I know you had a lot of people in the Obama administration who held uh, dual citizenships, U.S. and Israeli uh, citizenship. Um, it says, um, it goes on to say, most instrumental as former director of DHS in implementing policies challenged as unconstitutional policies, the new Israeli trained American police are tasked with stopping opposition to U.S. in the world. Uh, let me see. So that's an article that comes from allgov.com, allgov.com. So, you know, there there's something there. And when you look at how Palestinians are, are treated, and a lot of people don't know. I've had people tell me, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know why they think to share these things with me. But when I talk about injustice in this world, I talk about injustice that's happening to people. I'm, I, of course, being a part of the black community here in the United States, a victimized population more so than any population and probably only rivaled by the Palestinians. But when I share videos or I talk about the mistreatment of the Palestinians or mistreatment of people, no matter where they may be, you know, I don't understand why people tell me I shouldn't care about those issues. I mean, why would you even open your mouth to tell another person what they should care or shouldn't care about? Well, you know, one of the reasons I care is because it's all interconnected. It intersects. These are international human rights issues. And if we here in America want, let's say, other foreign countries to get behind uh, something that's presented on the international level through the UN, you know, the UN did send some people here to take testimony from, they went to about eight different cities, different grassroots organizations, gave them testimony on the police brutality and violence here. The UN produced a report that said the U.S. owes reparations to black people because of not just slavery past, but the deprivation of rights, the continued abuse, the continued racism, the continued mistreatment. Okay, so that that's why I bring up what's happening to other people in the world. And, and a lot of people don't know, they claim, you know, we need to get back to the stuff the Black Panthers was doing. Well, the Black Panthers established chapters worldwide. You had the Palestinian Black Panthers. You even had Black Panther chapters um, in India, okay? They made these international connections, and that is why some of those Panthers are not political prisoners in prison because they were able to get out the country and they were given asylum in some of these other nations. Cuba is one that comes to mind. We got Brother Pete. I haven't interviewed him in a while, uh, but he's in Tanz Tanzania, in the jungles of Tanzania, running a school. Um, and, you know, I'm going to have to get back in touch with him. It's hard to, to be in touch with someone in, who uh, is in a, a sparsely populated area that, you know, electricity may work, it may not. So that's why I, I bring up 
those other groups. It's not that I'm paying less attention or taking away from the issues that my own group here in the United States has to deal with, but I, I approach things from the way I've studied Malcolm X, the way I've studied the Black Panther Party. Unique international allies to address a lot of these international issues. So that's the reason why. Now, there's another story that I want to share related to police speaking about passing laws. I came across this video today on RT America, Russia Today America, and they were talking about a new law that is being proposed in New York, that's New York State, that would ban sex between federal agents and detainees. Now, I'm wondering, that's what the headline says, but when I listen to the video, I think they that's a typo or something. We'll take a listen to it, but I think they're talking about New York State and the police in New York, but the graphic says new law will ban sex between federal agents and detainees. And the first thing I thought about when I read that, and, and this has come up before when discussing prison rape cases and, and some of these uh, people will say, well, uh, those prisoners consented to have sex with those guards and whatnot in exchange for this, that, and the other. And it, I, I come back with the same thing I say when people try to romanticize the relationship uh, between um, Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemming. How can a victim of slavery give consent? And y'all know I look at this as modern-day slavery and human trafficking. No, it's not that I look at it as that. But that's what the Constitution says. That's what the 13th Amendment says. So let's give a listen to this report from RT America on uh, this new law that's supposed to ban sex between uh, detainees, arrestees, and these enforcement uh, officials. Get that queued up for you. A new bill would make it illegal for federal law enforcement officials to have sex with people in their custody, targeting a legal loophole that's allowed authorities to claim that instances of alleged assault or rape were consensual. I mean, really? It's this is 2018. We're, 2018. We're just now getting to this topic. I know. Tell me how. Tell me how that is. Well, it's a shame in many, many ways, but it stems from the rape, the alleged rape of an 18-year-old woman in New York City. She was in a car, apparently allegedly smoking weed with a couple of friends. These two vice cops come along in a van, pull her in, drive her around, and essentially take turns raping her. Is her story? They let her out on the sidewalk. There's video camera of her holding herself like this and getting a phone from a passerby. So her claim essentially is that they raped her. The vice cops have since been fired and are pleading not guilty to these charges. And their claim is that it is consensual. And what's interesting, BuzzFeed did the story some months back and it's been picking up steam ever since. But basically, New York is one of more than 
30 states that had a loophole, if you will, that didn't clearly define police officers as people in authority who were basically um, unable to, people didn't have to necessarily consent to that. You know, they could say, hey, she consented to having sex with us. And because they weren't legally defined as being people who weren't allowed to have sex with people in custody, they were getting away with it. Okay. In some cases. So, so the argument of the police department here is we didn't do it, but oh, if we did do it, it was consensual. Correct. I mean, that's literally what they've alleged. That's exactly we didn't it. do it, but if it did happen, uh, we lost our mind or something, it was consensual. Okay, so th this is another, you know, if you take a look at this, 35 states, in 35 states around this country, yes. 15 only say this is a problem. 35 states, yeah, you're in custody, you might be raped, you might be assaulted, but you know what? The law is going to say there's really no prevention of, of you being detained and the officer having consensual sex with you. Did, did I get that right? Yes, that's exactly what it is. And so now you have two legislators who are proposing a federal bill that addresses this issue based on that case because the, it came to light that there were all these dozens of states that had these loopholes where basically uh, over, a, it seems like a common sense law, but because they weren't legally defining police officers as people in positions of authority who had power over individuals who could potentially be um, claiming rape or attack or any sort of other sexual act, they were getting away with it in some yeah. cases. And so you have advocacy rights groups and various others that are saying, hey, this should have already been addressed. And that's why these two legislators came forward and proposed this bill. There's no date yet on when it will be voted, but it's essentially a bill that would close that loophole. And it also provides funding for these states that have these existing loopholes to say, hey, we'll give you funding for more of your, of your law enforcement agencies if you close this, because people need rights. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds archaic. I mean, again, we're in, this is 2018. And we're still talking about this issue, whether or not a police, a police officer can have sex with somebody that they're detained. I, it, this is crazy. Look, here's what really bothers me. In cases like this involving allegations from a criminal standpoint, you got the DA's office involved. The DA works with these police officers every day. That's right. There's this relationship that they have to have. They have to have a good relationship between police officers and the prosecutors. The only way I see these cases really changing is to get hit with civil cases. The civil uh, plaintiff's trial lawyer has no relationship with the police officers. They take them to court, and when you hit these people for 10, 20, 50 million dollars for this kind of conduct, that changes things. That's What's your take care. on this relationship? You, you've cover, you used to cover the police blotter, uh, you know, yes. all over North Florida. What is your take on it? When I first saw this story, it immediately piqued my interest because there are so many stories that you hear as a reporter that you don't report because you can't verify. There's a lot of things that people don't know that go on behind the scenes. And this is stuff that I've heard going on for years. Some that we were able to verify, some that we haven't. But you think about the nature of the person who's attracted to law enforcement and a, a position in law enforcement. Even other police will tell you, and they're quoted in numerous stories as saying, some people just want a badge and a gun and a position of power to be able to tell everybody to shut up, they're going to do what they want. And then you think about the, the clientele, if you will, that they're dealing with. They're dealing with people who are on their bad behavior every day mm. or potentially could be on their bad behavior. So they're automatically lower down on the credibility rung. Yeah. So if you're a police officer taking advantage of someone, yeah. they're already in trouble, then you're already we, we, having to fight the way up to be we've believed. We've seen this story so often. Molly, thank you for joining yes. me. Uh, this is a story that, unfortunately, it's, it's absurd that we're even talking about this. In, it needs to in, pass. In, this in, bill in, needs to pass. In 2018. Thanks. Okay. This is what I, I don't understand. 
And I pulled up another article um, to find out, because I'm kind of confused here, because they're saying law enforcement, they're saying police, um, that case that happened in New York, I remember that case. I thought it was New York City police vice officers. Uh, was it federal? I don't know. But apparently, there time is saying that the new bill would make it illegal for law enforcement officials, federal law enforcement officials, to have sex with detainees. And it would also be illegal for federal corrections officers, you know, plantation overseers, to have sex with inmates, because that was going to be one of my questions. Well, what about uh, those people who are in modern-day slavery and human trafficking? We've reported stories on New Abolitionist Radio of guards uh, have um, coercing female uh, uh, inmates into having sex in exchange for toiletries and tampons and female hygiene items or what have you, which you would think, you know, should be standard issue and given to them. But of course, everything is privatized in these prisons. And, and, you know, we were talking to Kim Melanson last week and it being so hot in that Mississippi prison and he had to purchase some fans, you know, uh, to try to cool off, even though it's only pumping hot air. So they sell these prisoners everything. They sell them everything, okay? that Again, this is about profit. This isn't about public safety. This isn't about reducing crime. This is all about profit. It is just one of the uh, angles that they profit from modern-day slavery and human trafficking. But I guess now... If you're in one of those states where it has this loophole that that's something that needs to be on your radar and perhaps something that you should be pressing your state legislatures on and pointing to this federal bill. Because, again, you would think this is common sense. You would think it, it was common sense, um, you know, that, that we don't have these people um, I wonder, I'm thinking about Daniel Holesclaw in Oklahoma, all those women he raped, and he did get prosecuted, and he was convicted, but I wonder if that was part of his defense was, oh, they consented, and what have you. So, again, just just like during pre-1865 slavery, a victim of slavery cannot consent to sex with the person enslaving them, okay, because they're not in control of their bodies and if they refuse they will get beaten and what have you. The same applies to modern day slave catchers who will coerce you, threaten you with arrest if you don't uh, acquiesce to their sexual depravity so you would think we wouldn't need these sort of laws but you would be wrong you would be wrong uh, let's go to the phone lines. We're going to go to Otis first, and then we'll go to Ross second. Uh, thank you, Otis, for chiming in and sharing that information in our chat at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradio. Uh, what's on your mind, Otis? Good evening, Scotty. I'm hoping my mic is working this time. Yes, it is. All right, good evening, comrade. All I was going to throw in is, you know, when you bring up, we've talked about this so often, you know, following you over the last five years, and I'd like to thank you for creating this platform. But I, 
the same reason I wouldn't join a fraternity is the same reason when I hear about incidents like this. We know from from being grown men, so often these kind of organizations operate in a pack mentality. So when I find the one that gets prosecuted, my mind can't help but go to, well, how many more are getting away with this? You know, that, that kind of mentality has forced me out of organizations because I'm not trying to place myself above a, on a pedestal, but I just can't operate in that kind of environment. But I know it happens there. I've, I've actually worked around uh, Mesquite Police Department, Dallas Police Department, doing floors for them for like over three and a half, four years through a, a janitorial service at night. And when you hear these people talk, when they think they're not being monitored, they have a pack mentality. When you talk about that guy in Oklahoma, like I say, I think that they prosecuted him, but I think they prosecuted him to kind of cut off the investigation into what's wrong with the whole department because very seldom right. is it just a lone wolf. Right, it's a culture. And I, I would say a gang mentality as opposed to a pack mentality unless you're talking about a pack of wolves you know, predators, apex predators, and I say you definitely are are right. Uh, let's go to Ross, who is joining us uh, here on BTR News tonight. What's on your mind, Ross? Peace to you, Brother Scotty. Peace to you, Brother Otis, um, Jenna, the other calls and listeners. Uh, great, great program um, as always, and um, this this is interesting that this law is being written into the books, but when you're dealing with a system of white supremacy, like everything that you don't want done has to be codified in law. Otherwise, if anything goes, even if it's clandestine and it's criminal. And the interesting thing was that I've seen quite a few documentaries on Griselda Blanco, um, known as the cocaine godmother from Colombia. And the interesting thing was she had a high-ranking... Um, soldier in her organization that did a great portion of the murders that she orchestrated and at one point he was planning to testify against her because he was facing like a thousand life sentences for all these people that he had killed and the interesting thing was he ended up getting into a sexual relationship with a secretary that worked for the feds that were investigating him and it started off as phone sex and eventually they ended up having like two sexual encounters while he was being held waiting to go to um, discuss with them whatever he was going to say when he was going to testify against her. And they ended up throwing throwing the, the case completely out, and they couldn't even use his testimony due to the fact that he had that encounter, those encounters with this, this um, secretary. And they said the same thing, that she, there was an imbalance in power because she worked for the feds, and she could have been tampering with evidence on his behalf because they had this sexual relationship. So there was all of these things in combination, but it also discussed the fact that there was an imbalance of power in that relationship because he was a criminal and she worked for the people who basically arrested him. So to me, and there's other cases out there where there were similar things that happened. So it's not like they don't know what this is. They just now are codifying it in a way in which it has a, 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 a 
a deeper legal standing when it's been happening all along and they known all of this stuff has been going on all along. So I just wanted to toss that out there because that, that was just interesting that they're just codifying it, but thinking of the system we're in, if they don't put it down on paper, people will continue to do it or try it or whatever the case may be because that's the way we're programmed in the system. And with that, I'll mute myself, Scotty. Thanks. All right, thank you. You know, loopholes, loopholes, the loophole, the greatest loophole that I have ever come across in law is that loophole in the 13th Amendment that allows them to continue practicing slavery. And I'm sorry if if people get tired of me bringing up slavery, UL, you know, I'm not tired of bringing it up. Because there's a historical connection. Do you not think them slave catchers was was uh, uh, raping the female victims of slavery that had ran away and they caught them? You know, you don't think they were doing Well, I shouldn't even put a gender on it because, you know, I'm sure it was some homosexual slave catchers that was raping the little boys and the men and what have you. So nothing ha- happens, you know, in a vacuum. And this is just a part of a continuation of that culture of abuse of power and what have you. Even though in the context of 1865, prior to 1865, they wouldn't even consider the uh, victimizing uh, already victim of slavery. They wouldn't even consider that an abuse of power. It would be acceptable. But again, like the California uh, story mentions, the laws on police use of force haven't changed since the black code days, the days of Jim Crow and what have you. When it was just open white supremacy and they weren't even trying to hide it. I mean, they out in the open now because they've been emboldened by Donald Trump. And I'm just talking about your, your everyday low life races on the street. But, you know, in terms of these races that's in law enforcement, and what have you, you know, still, it's that culture, man. It's that culture. All right. Let me take my last station identification break, and I will hit you off with a couple of more stories before we get ready to wrap it up as we head into this weekend. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I broadcast this program live Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Please share the platform with others. Share the podcast with others. You can. We also have a YouTube channel. You can follow us on YouTube at Black Talk Radio. Uh, we're on Facebook, Black Talk Radio Network, on Twitter at Black Talk Radio. And but of course, we have our own social media pro, uh, platform called BTR Community. Become a member of BTR Community. If you're a member of any other social media platform, there's no reason for you to be on a social media platform that was set up specifically with you in mind. And it's a way for us to continue uh, funding our media operations, the media operations of Black Talk Media Project. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. 
Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. And welcome back to BTR News. I want to share this story out of Charlotte I came across yesterday. And it, it just goes along with the conversation and the focus we've been having uh, this evening on the unnecessary use of deadly force, but I, also the unnecessary use of force, period. So let me set this up for you. There's a young black man who was asked to leave a Walmart uh, parking lot in Charlotte, North Carolina, because he was riding his hoverboard. Even after he left, cops followed him and continued to harass him. He was slammed to the ground and arrested, even though he followed orders. So I'm gonna play that clip for you. Y'all see this, right? They wanted me to leave. Walmart, because I was riding my hoverboard, right? I'm leaving Walmart. Now they extort me. Especially this guy here. He's the dickhead. Jesus. I'm trying to tell you, these police, man, they get paid for this? I'm trying to be like you, sir. I'm trying to be like you. Who? I don't got no criminal record, cousin. I don't know. You won't let me get your name. Like I'm really going to give you my name? You're rocking the wrong way to interest. Is that what? Bro, look. Look, 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 listen, look, who came? Nah, who came? I don't have to do no hopping, bro. Get off my back. Stop following me. Why are you still following me, bro? No, look, why are you still touching me, bro? Why are you touching me? Why are you touching me? You did exactly, bro. Get off of me, bro. No, get off of me, dude. Get off of me. Can you tell your man to get off of me? Can you tell you? For what? He told me to leave. He told me to leave. Did he not tell me to leave? Did he not tell me? Look, don't, can you not jack me? All right, I'm still right here. Get off my shirt. If you would just and try Excuse to what we're saying, what? Like I'm calling you, you motherfucker. Get... It's freedom of speech, bro. Get off me, bro. Chill, bro. Chill. Come on, man. PJ. 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 Damn. Hey. Back up. Get up. Back up. Back up. Back up. Back up. God damn. Coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, he said he cussed right now. Let me just keep it real right here. This is a young man. He's in a situation that obviously made him angry. He's doing nothing but riding a hoverboard through the parking lot. Police come. Somebody calls the police. Add black while hoverboarding to the list. Somebody calls the police. 
He's leaving the parking lot, okay? And I, I don't know which Walmart that is, but I've been to uh, several Walmarts in Charlotte, and usually they have a parking lot that's adjacent to the street and to other properties. And so why are you telling him he has to go through a entrance, you know, where the cars come in? Why, why can't he's walking to leave Walmart's property? Why are you following him? Why are you escorting him? Can you not keep your distance and see that, that he leaves? It's that intimidation factor, okay? And and then, you know, what what escalated it, and, and again, this is why we have to keep our cool behind these enemy lines and stay codified, stay on code. You know, we don't want to use, we don't want to antagonize the police. We don't want to use language. We don't want to give them any excuse because too many of us end up getting dead, all right? It's not an excuse. I don't like he said, freedom of speech. But again, we when you're a black person in the nation that's still practicing slavery and has the history that it has of using white supremacy to enslave you, and you dealing with all white cops, a white female cop and a white male cop, you gotta stay codified. But that's no excuse. Now again, I've been talking about freedom of speech all this week, right? You got these people. I just put out a video before coming on air about Jimmy Dore continuing to advocate for Alex Jones to be able to engage in his white supremacy uh, 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 language, his threatening language, his bigot, bigoted language, his targeting of certain groups. And you got Jimmy Dore of the Jimmy Dore show on YouTube uh, saying that, hey, Facebook was wrong for kicking off Alex Jones. YouTube was wrong for banning Alex Jones and taking down all this stuff. They were wrong. This is for this freedom of speech. Okay? Okay? So, does freedom of speech apply to this guy? Does it apply to this young man? Does he does he get to express his dislike for his treatment without being brutalized? Obviously not. Because he was brutalized. Because of his speech. Not because he was vandalizing Walmart's parking lot. Not that he was breaking in any cars in the parking lot. This is this is a young black person who was hoverboarding. Somebody called the police black while hoverboarding. I wonder who called the police. So I, I, these slave catchers are out of control. And I'm not trying to say that we should be meek. I'm not saying that we should be, you know, excuse my language, pussies. I'm not saying any, any of that. But what I am saying is recognize where we live, recognize what's happening every day. 51,000 people being injured every year by police. We got to be more codified and control. All right. We don't want to give them any excuse, even though I saw no excuse for them to do him like he did. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. So that just happened yesterday in Charlotte. They ain't got bet nothing better to do than harassing young people hoverboard now 
out in public. They, ain't y'all got some murders to solve? Ain't y'all got some rapes to solve? Okay. I tell you, it's frustrating, man. It, it is very frustrating. As um, what what's what's the man name? To be black in America is to be in a constant state of anger, constant state of anger or depression or both. That's why I believe more than any group, we will benefit from mental health treatment mental health treatment. I think the government should pay for it. Here's another story about being codified behind these enemy lines. When I saw this story, I thought about Gus T. Renegade of the Cow saying that in this system, sobriety is best. That's not to justify what happened to this black man 20, uh, what? 25 years ago, 30 years ago, something like that, happened in 1983. A Georgia man pleads guilty in brutal cold case race slain of 23-year-old black man murdered in 1983 for dating a white woman. Now, I don't know if they were dating. The story didn't indicate that they were dating, but he was at a bar drinking and he left the bar with the white woman. Now, I'm wondering what bar was you in? That these these racist white terrorists, these white males, were able to accost you and murder you. Now, you know, my bar, my bar hopping days is long past, long gone. I don't engage in clubbing anymore. I haven't since my 30s. I'm in my 50s now. But, you know, it, it was nothing for for uh, this one bar I used to go to in Belmont, North Carolina, black bar. Nothing for a, a white woman to come up in there. You know, didn't happen a lot, but they, they'll be in there, you know, and not that we should be telling people they can't where they can and cannot go or whatnot. But I'm wondering if this was a white bar. This was a white bar because right across the street from that black bar was a white bar. And we didn't go over there. We didn't go up in there in their establishments trying to have a drink with them because why would I want to be around a bunch of racist suspects under the influence of alcohol? That's like asking for it, you know? Not that you deserve what you get, but again, we have to recognize where we at and what the climate of this society is. So it says more than three decades after a black man died in a racially motivated killing in Georgia, two white men have been held accountable. Bill Moore Sr. pleaded guilty to his involvement in the 1983 slain of 23-year-old Timothy Coggins. Moore received a sentence of 30 years with 20 to be served in prison. And I'm like, where the heck is the other 10 years going to be spent? Shouldn't all 30 years be in prison? Where he going to be? What, 10 years in the county jail? I don't know. They don't share the details. His brother-in-law, Frank Gebhardt, went to trial in June on charges including murder and was convicted by a jury. He was sentenced to serve life plus 20 years in prison. 
The two were tried together, but the defense was able to successfully petition to a judge in hopes of getting a reduced sentence, according to AJC.com. Witnesses said Coggins was stabbed 30 times and dragged behind a pickup truck. And that reminded me when I read that uh, Papa John, I forget his last name, Shatner, Papa John Shatner uh, told some people on the conference call that hell. When I was a young man in Indiana, they used to drag uh, N-words behind the truck. I don't know if he said the N-word in that instance, but he was accused of using the N-word. But they used to drag black folks behind trucks. So why should I care about the public's perception of me using the N-word, you know, on this conference call? I guess is what he was trying to relay. But, uh, yeah, they drug him behind the truck. Just like they did in Texas to Robert Byrd. Lynching by truck seems to be a thing in, in their uh, community. Goes on to say it was some other people that was charged. The case remained unsolved for decades. New leads from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations prompted authorities to reopen the case in March of 2017. The knife that was used to stab Coggins was never found. The chain that was used was also not found. Well, you're talking decades later. But crucial witness testimony led to more witnesses coming forward in the eventual arrest of the five suspects. So I'm thinking that this guy was snatched while he was in the parking lot of a white bar. Because that's the only way you would have these witnesses. Unless they were standing around, you know, having a picnic while he was being stabbed and then later dragged behind the truck. I don't know. It don't share those details. But it said crucial witness testimony led to more witnesses coming forward and the eventual arrest of five suspects. So I told you about the two. It says Gephardt 60 was charged with felony murder. His sister... So it's a family thing, family affair. His sister, Sandra Bunn, was charged with trying to help him avoid prosecution, along with his nephew, Lamar Bunn. Gregory Hoffman, a detention officer at Spalding County Sheriff Officer, Office of Slave Catcher, was charged with obstruction and violating his oath. It doesn't share any details. Perhaps he was trying to help him cover it up. So five people in all have been charged. I didn't hear about the convictions of anyone but those two who uh, were finally sentenced. So cold case racial uh, murder uh, has been solved. Uh, The murder of Timothy Coggins more. All right. So I tell you, man, we and again, when I read this and I said this a bar. First thing that came to my mind was something I hear Gus say whenever I listen to the cows, that sobriety would be best in this system, in this society, in this nation. Sobriety is is best. And if you got to get your drink on, uh, don't be drinking with racist suspects, okay? Because this kind of stuff can happen. All right. Last story that I want to share with you. 
Um, if you have any questions or comments before we get ready to get out of here, now's the time to get them in. Just hit uh, star star, the telephone number. I didn't never even gave out the phone number the whole time doing this broadcast. My apologies. 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit star star to unmute yourself. The last thing I want to share with you, I, I got a chuckle out of it. It comes from CNN, one of the corporate media propaganda outlets for the United States government, okay? Um, the media isn't as objective as they trying to make it out to be just called Donald Trump is being uncodified and attacking them and whatnot uh, and doesn't understand the media really works for him or whatnot, but they never wanted Trump, so they wanted Hillary, so, you know, uh, we know CNN was part of the Pied Piper process and um, gave Trump and his empty empty podiums uh, wall-to-wall coverage, giving him all that free campaign uh, um um, material and whatnot, which would have cost him billions of dollars if he'd have paid for the coverage himself. But there's a story out of um, that they reported about China training long-range bombers, long-range pilots for long-range bombers, nuclear bombers. And I just thought, you know, I let y'all hear it, but I was like, man, this is straight-up propaganda, man. What do they expect China to do? As if the United States doesn't train bombers who are targeting the world. So here's this report from CNN. America in the crosshairs. A new report from the Pentagon says that China is actively developing its fleet of long-range bombers and likely training its pilots for missions over the U.S. Joining me now, CNN military and diplomatic analyst, retired Rear Admiral John Kirby, uh, this is alarming because Ch- China's been making military moves for some time to, right. to expand its military power and influence abroad. What do we see in this report? This report, I think, makes clear that they have continued that process, that, that, that they, are, they view the first two decades of this century as an era of strategic opportunity to expand and develop what they call their comprehensive national power. This report lays out some very specific examples of how they're doing that. So let's take a look at them. They're giving the Chinese Air Force now a nuclear mission, the ability to arm bombers, as you said, uh, Jim, with nuclear missiles that could actually go as far and perhaps be as accurate to attack uh, U.S. targets. Um, they're, again, that's the, for the training of their pilots. They're also modernizing the People's Liberation Army to be able to conduct complex joint and out-of-area operations, something we've not seen the Chinese Army because able to do. Until this point, they'd focused their attention on their borders and, and the immediate surroundings. So now they, they right. want to be able to project, project power where the U.S. is dominant. Exactly. It's not just about area dominance now it's power projection in an expeditionary way out of area and across the globe also in, in keeping with that they're expanding their ring of bases so we've talked about the bases in the nine dash line in the in the sphere of influence they're creating in the south china sea but they're also now trying to contract for and build bases in countries around the world pakistan djibouti they really want a more robust global footprint now the other big adversary of course is russia and folks of course think of russian cyber attacks interference in the election Right. etc. But in space, 
Uh, there's a new satellite that's drawing the yeah. attention of the U.S. This is really flummoxed experts. Uh, uh, we're not exactly sure, nobody's exactly sure, what this satellite is meant to do. Uh, they have been observing very weird behavior from it. It has been sidling up to other Russian satellites. It's been directing itself even to stages, launch stages that took put it into orbit. It's been kind of moving over and around them. So it's got some sort of self-movement capability. In addition, it appears to be able to launch some sub-satellites, smaller satellites out of it. You can see in this video here that it can do that. Now, what we're not clear is if, if, if this is just purely peaceful. Does, is, it a, is it a repair and refueling capability? Or is there a more sinister uh, intent here to maybe weaponize space or to be able to knock out other satellites? And that, of course, would, would significantly hurt the U.S. because we're very dependent, both civilian and military, on satellite Absolutely. capabilities. Uh, so, is the... Okay, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Look... That's straight up propaganda. Keywords that was used there, likely. When somebody tells me likely, that's like telling me uh, what did Tim Wise say about uh, um, he wasn't sure <laughs> if a person has a right to stand in Times Square and yell nigger at people. I suppose, I suppose. Likely is one of those type of words where I really don't know, but I think it's likely, or I suppose. But they putting this out there like like it's fact. It's like like it's fact. Now let let's assume that it is a fact that China is training its pilots in flying long range uh, bombers that could drop nuclear bombs, and let's say that they're targeting, you know, practicing to target the United States. Isn't that what the United States has been doing to almost every country on the face of the planet? Who has over uh, uh, bases in over 180 different countries? Who has AFROCOM over there in Africa or just outside of Africa because it's really based inside of uh, Italy? I think it's where AFROCOM is uh, stationed at um, in Europe just outside of, of Africa. You know, there's that um, uh, North Africa isn't that far from Europe. That's why you had so many migrants trying to get through Libya, which is Northern Africa, to get into Europe as they flee the destabilized regions that um, the United States helped destabilize as well as France. So I, what what is this? the purpose of this propaganda? To justify increased military spending is this to justify donald trump's so-called space force how much is that going to cost us that's what that's how i'm looking at this report it, it's just pure propaganda and then the pentagon saying they don't even know for sure because they they're likely doing this okay I suppose this is what that's for. And then in the case with the Russian story and the satellites, um, you know, we don't know if it's civilian or for military purposes or what have you. Well, if you don't know, then why are you putting this out? Why are you putting this out? It's propaganda. It's war propaganda, people. Well, anyway, i come to the end of the broadcast. I want to thank our guests uh, joining us from Richmond, Virginia, Mr. Marty uh, Jewell, who spoke with us about... Uh, training police in necessary force versus excessive force or deadly force. All right. And I want to thank all the callers who called in 
and uh, chimed in on today's stories and their topics. I'll be back on air Monday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time with another broadcast of Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Peace and blessings to all. Y'all be safe out there over this weekend.